You've stumbled across the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I started this podcast over two years ago as a way of networking with people in the industry. Today's chat is with Dan Elder, a 15-year veteran of animation who currently co-heads the effects department of Jam-Filled Entertainment. Dan specializes in creating insane 2D smoke, fire, water, mud, bubble, wind, light, firework, laser, uh, and pretty much any other effect you can think of. In our chat, he's going to talk about how to specifically pursue 2D effects as a career, but also important areas like how to ask for a raise in your next contract or the type of mindset you should develop to become successful in your role. But first, this episode is sponsored by the awesome team at startastudio.com. Startastudio Studio is a new online school focused on the business side of animation. They have both free and paid courses, an online community, and downloads to help you succeed in your animation career career and build your own cool creative and viable animation studio. You can use the unique discount code AIP as in animation industry podcast in their checkout to save 20% on their popular pro studio startup course. So whether you're looking to up your freelance game or plan and launch your own animation company, check out startastudio.com. Now let's jump into the chat. Hey Dan, what's what's happening? How's it going? Uh, not much. I'm happy to be here, man. Excellent. How's uh, COVID treating you? What, what's what's where you're located? Where you're heading to? What's going on? Um, so I'm headed nowhere okay. <laughs> for, for obvious reasons. I mean, I, I don't think we're in lockdown, but uh, I'm, I'm located in uh, Ottawa, the Ottawa animation scene. And uh, we, the studio I, I'm at, we are all on work from home. Yeah. Uh, discussing the possibility of maybe a couple employees here and there going back. But um, for now, that is just sort of on the table. Cool. What, what studio is that, if I may be so bold? Yeah, no, n- uh, no worries. So I am co-head of the effects department for uh, Jamfield. Uh, we have studios in Ottawa, Toronto, and just started a, a new one in Halifax. So I help to oversee the, the productions going on in, in um, those studios, um, along with just trying to like do scenes and my own uh, still contributing as an artist and not just being like a manager, you know. What is what is the most fun show to do effects on? I'm assuming it's Final Space because of all the like laser beams and universe stuff. Or or am I wrong? Is it like a kids show? No, you're 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 not wrong. You're definitely in in the correct vein. Um, my opinion about sort of Eastern style animation versus Western style animation is that um, Western style we don't yet take um, effects as seriously as they do sort of in the anime world. Um, so if you're looking for the coolest effects stuff, you're, you're, you're looking at some kind of anime. Um, but over here, yeah, anything that is more effects oriented, like, um, the last show, that I just got done running was a, a show called Superhero Girls, which was uh, created, um, well, it was a reboot with uh, Lauren Faust, the uh, uh, creator of Powerpuff Girls. And that was a very heavily 
um, effects oriented show. So there was there was tons of fun stuff to do in there. Nice. Uh, it was tough, but it was it, it was really really good. Yeah. Sweet. So effects is like kind of one of the last uh, hand drawn art forms in. 2D animation almost because everything seems to be rigged. So I, I want to hear your journey of how you got into it. Did you just wake up one day and you're like, I want to do effects or like, how, how did this happen for you? Um, my origin story is, origin is sort story. Of, yeah, um, it's sort of both sweet and sour. Um, I had a couple moments in my career where I feel I'm not really a big, like sort of hippie person, but I kind of feel like the universe was pointing me in, in the effects direction and I didn't quite listen um, as soon as I, I should have. So um, my schooling was done in, in Saskatchewan um, at um, a private art school called Red House, which is unfortunately now closed. Um, but like most people coming out of school, I wanted to be uh, a character animator. Um, I think that's like probably the most common sort of career path that most like fresh animators go on. Um, so unfortunately, as one I'm sure could imagine, um, Saskatchewan isn't really um, a super hotbed for animation. Uh, there at the time- like the hotbed for wheat? <laughs> yeah. And, and canola, yeah. Canola. Yep, yep. Um, at the time, there was a couple stop motion productions going on. Yeah. But I had a friend who was a year ahead of me, and he left to go out to the East Coast. Um, anyone who's familiar with Canadian animation would possibly know that in the early 2000s, the East Coast was a hotbed um, for animation, not just Halifax, but there was a studio uh, in PEI, the, the capital. I always mess it up. Charlotte, um, Charlottetown, Charlotte? Charlottetown. Anyway. Anyways, the capital of PEI, there's a studio there. And um, I landed in a studio in New Brunswick in Miramichi called Fat Cat. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to go there was because they were doing the first TV length animation for a show that I really loved that was web series based for a long time called um, Happy Tree Friends. Hey, what up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, old school flash animation stuff right there. Um, so I was learning a lot because everything I had learned had been traditional um, through schooling and stuff. Um, and now trying to do flash, working strictly on a computer, working on a tablet was a little bit of a, um, a shock to me. Um, and the first time I sort of had the universe nudging me in the direction of effects was um, the studio, unfortunately, wasn't as organized as most studios should be. Um, and the reason why effects is a department um, is because when you have shows that have a lot of effects in them, um, just like any other department, they need to be overseen. They need to you. There needs to be someone in charge to drive the, the look and the style of the show. 
um, to check hookups, to make sure that everything works, right? Yeah. Effects as a department didn't exist at this studio, um, which was fine for a couple episodes. The idea was if you got handed a scene with effects in it, you, you animated it, everything. Um, it wasn't an issue until we got a episode which had a ton of fire in it. Um, now, obviously, if you're going to do fire, you want the fire looking exactly the same from shot to shot to shot, right? So when we, um, when we got the rough cut of this episode done, it had, I don't know, 15 or 20 people like the animators who had fire in their scenes, all animating fire in their own special, unique sort of way, right? Man, what a uh, nightmare. <laughs> yeah. you think somebody would have would have had the premonition to reach out to everybody and be like, hey, here's the fire files or the way you should animate it. We need to standardize this. We need someone to oversee it. You know, uh, we need the department basically, right? And, and, and there wasn't any of that. Um, and I think it sort of got, in terms of deadline, it got so late. It's like, we're better off sending something than sending nothing. Um, so obviously the, is it Mondo Media, I believe, um, they saw the show and they're like, we need, we need the fire to look all exactly the same. This is the scene with the fire we like the most. Uh, and that was my scene. No right? way. Yeah. So wow. <laughs> we, we got the client notes back saying like, we want the entire show to look like this fire. Um, so I had I had a couple of the sort of higher ups, the animation director and stuff approach me saying like, listen, you basically have to do the fire for the rest of this episode. Like we need you to revise everyone's scenes that had fire and put your fire in there because the client liked your fire and they want the fire in there. Um, so I did it, which was uh, great and, and sort of a moment that that I'm pretty proud of. I, in retrospect though, I mean like hindsight, um, I wish I would have taken it as a sign. I didn't. <laughs> I sort of, I did the revisions and stuff and it's like, okay, back to character animation. Let's keep going. Let's keep, you know, trying to get better at this. Um, when I should have just been like, if, if I was, um, if I was super aware of what was going on, um, I would have gone to the studio head and pitched them the idea of an effects department yeah. and, and, and slotted myself in there as the head of it right away, you know. Um, but this was my very first job. I think I was like six months or so into it. Um, so I didn't really have the wherewithal to come up with sort of like business strategies like that. Um, so I, I unfortunately at that point ignored it. Um, yeah that's hilarious fate was literally like knocking on your forehead being like hey <laughs> here's I, I your was, path you should yeah. take it it's a great opportunity so yeah. okay well you stumbled into effects how do people get into effects these days because like for instance i'm going to sheridan college okay. and it's it's you know it's a, a re very renowned school for animation and yep. all the grads go and work in toronto ottawa vancouver the world etc yep. um, but there's not a heavy focus on effects like for instance yep. it's heavily focusing on uh action 
acting performance and lip sync yeah. and stuff like that. And uh, for instance, last year we did, um, we could choose a water droplet or a, like in a bucket or a fire, a flame of a candle. Like it, it's very, effects are very short. So what is a path that people are taking nowadays to get into effects that you see? Is there a streamlined path of like, you know, people taking an online course in effects, getting together an effects portfolio, applying for an effects position or like, how does that happen? So the sort of the, the nitty gritty of it is that if you are currently in school and you want to get into effects, you have to be a really self-motivated person and learner because it is going to, from all the schools that I know, it's going to require you going to your teachers and saying, I have decided this is my direction. Yeah. I'm paying for the school. I want help getting into my job in the industry with effects. Obviously there's no class here. How can I make this happen? Um, there are online classes, which once again, you're going to have to be self-motivated. You're going to have to seek them out. You're going to have to like, you know, write the emails, talk to the people, um, stuff like that. However, because the department itself, first off is quite small, like, the studio I'm in over the three different studios that we have, I think we're pushing like 600 or so employees, but that's everyone. Yeah. Um, the Ottawa location specifically, which is where I'm located is I think briefly north of 200 employees of which the 2D effects department is eight, between eight and 10 people. Gotcha. Um, like four... 4% of your office, 1% of the entire company. Yeah. Um, so because of this, we are quite closely, um, we're, 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 we're tight knit, but that means that we are very open to helping people on a, on an individual basis. Gotcha. Um, so at this point in time, even though what we want is students fresh out of school coming to us with their reels, either asking, how do I get better or how do I get a job? But currently sort of, I would say the best foot in the door right now is just get a position at a studio, then talk to the effects department, talk to the people who are in charge, talk about how you can go about um, starting to animate and creating work that will um, impress people enough to be like, yes, let's take you on as a junior animator. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask, because it, like same with kind of stop motion where it's a little bit more of a niche, um, you know, it's harder to find training in that, but once you're in, it's like, everybody knows you. So yeah. the market in that case for special effects, is there a high demand for people in special effects? Super then? high. Is it, is it kind no, of like no. demand is met by just no. getting in? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's super high. We have been actively hiring for at least over a year, um, constantly looking for specifically the talent, but we're not totally, we're not going to turn away someone if they show promise. Gotcha. Um, and I have a bunch of friends who are all in effects and 
all I hear about from studio to studio to studio is it's impossible to find you guys. It's impossible to track you down, especially the talented ones that might have experience running a department or running a show. Um, right now, the power is in the employees' hands in, in terms of this department. Yeah. So let me run this by you. Say, you know, it sounds like you kind of have to self-identify that you want to do effects and take it really seriously. Like if you're taking a general animation degree or whatnot, then uh, you, you probably will have to stumble into it later on in your career. So let me run this by you. Say I identify that I love effects. You know, I do a whole, my hobby is effects and I want to take this seriously. So I take some online training. Um, I try to put together my best reel of like uh, different effects and things that you might see for a show. And I get in touch with people like you. So I'm in constant contact with what's going on in the industry. You see my work. Would that be a good way to enter? Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> One of one one of the pieces of advice I give to students um, or people who are newer to the industry is if you have made the decision of the department you want to gun for um, when you create your demo reel um, because I I've done a lot of hiring right like I look at demo reels not all the time but quite frequently whenever someone applies to the studio and and they're they, they mention in their email, if they're interested in effects, their demo reel will come across my desk. Um, and so one of the pieces of advice that I give is that if you, if you are decided that effects is what you wanna do, then gear your demo reel strictly to that department that you want to enter. Um, as the person doing the hiring, I, and, and I don't know if this is going to sound a little bit harsh or not, but I don't care what your life drawing looks like. I don't care how talented you are at backgrounds. I want to see that you have a fundamental knowledge of effects um, from the very basic stuff up as far as you're comfortable going. Um, and as long as I can see that, then I can get a very good gauge of um, what I'm working with uh, and, and sort of the potential that, that you might you might hold. So as long as you come to me with that kind of demo reel um, and with a little bit of talk about your passion for effects or how you got into it, uh, we are pretty friendly and open about at the very least trying to get you into the department in some form or fashion anywhere. Not It, it doesn't necessarily even have to be at, at the specific studio that I work at. But um, if you were to come to me just with a general passion for effects, um, I'll, you know, sit down, talk about effects and help you out and, and try to get you into the department. Nice, That's, that sounds really encouraging because what I'm hearing is, you know, the, the typical way of applying for a job is to apply to the applications at whateverstudio.com or like talk to a hiring manager. But it almost yeah. sounds like if, with this niche specifically, it makes more sense to get to know the people in the studio kind of first before you even before you even reach that step. Is that what you're saying? Um, if you if you have an in like that, that would be excellent. Gotcha. But I can I, I, I can tell you that if you apply to the studio and, and in your email, you had an effect specific demo reel and oh, I see. They were just in the body, it mentions effects. Um, I don't want to say you'll get fast tracked because it, it doesn't really work like that, but right away 
that application stands out because the department is in need. Gotcha. So you're, you are gearing yourself in order to try to fit um, a niche, which lots of studios are in need of. So they're looking to snatch up uh, fresh talent wherever they can. Sweet. I have one more question before I, I switch topics completely. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Um, sure. So as somebody who's been doing effects for a while and you're, you know, you're the head of your department as well, what kind of person, sorry, did I get that right? No, no. I just, I, I, I just want to put it out there that I'm co-head. Co-head, um, sorry. Because I, I, I don't want my, my sort of partner in crime, uh, Chris Graff, who's, um, I'll give, I'll give him a quick shout out and an amazingly talented um, effects artist, but um, we handle the department um, together. Yeah. That's very nice of you to mention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll have to send this episode to him just for that. Um, yeah. uh, sorry, now I need to backtrack. Oh, right. So what kind of person really excels in effects specifically? Like when you think of yourself and the skill set you have and what you really get out of making effects, like what is who's the perfect candidate to go into effects if you're if you're like not sure and you love animation you've done some effects or you know other things um i would say someone who's still interested in drawing has to be the number one um when i train people um a lot of the difficulties i run into are people coming from a 3d background who are more heavily interested in trying to get the program to do, to simulate effects. Mm. That is not what we are about. Um, I, I'll, I'll give the caveat that um, my everyday nine to five job um, in effects is primarily for TV animation, but it is also 2D effects. Um, right. So I want people that like to draw. Um, I don't want people who are looking to use, um, we work specifically in, in Toon Boom Harmony. Um, and it has a lot of great tools. And um, I'm actually an, uh, a Toon Boom ambassador this year nice, um, nice. For, for whatever that's worth. So um, I'm, I'm, I have nothing negative to say about the software. But when it comes down to creating effects for TV, I want people who can use the program um, in terms of drawing. Makes sense. Um, um, so you should be interested in drawing, um, obviously also animation. There, there's a certain aspect to effects, which, um, and I think this might be what some people find quite intimidating is that there's, there's a pretty heavy sort of abstract element to effects animation, which I think a lot of people can sometimes struggle to try to comprehend because the example I always use is if you're staring at a fire like IRL, you know, in, in, in real life, there's this very ethereal element to fire. It's not a solid, but it's visually present. So when you're animating fire, you have to go about it in a manner where you're, you're asking yourself, how, how do I represent fire in sort of a 2D fashion? And with stuff like that, you're, you're, you're going to be talking about, um, I use this term maybe more often than I should, but like shape language, you know, okay. the, the kinds of shapes you're using in the, in the animation. Um, you want to take into consideration like um, things like negative space and 
the movement of the fire is obviously very, very important. And if you do it all right and correctly, you will have something that imitates real life, but in real life is very sort of ethereal and hard to grasp just by looking at like a picture of it, right? Um, so having some sort of love for sort of the abstraction and the way nature works, mm. I, I really like to see in possible employees because when I'm teaching, um, whether it be like fresh employees or, or helping out a student or something like that, I try to take a very physical approach to the things that are going on with, um, with the effect itself. Like um, a really good example of that would be water. Um, water in and of itself isn't, isn't really an effect because when there's no energy present, water wants to stay still and flat and fill um, and, and, and like conform to gravity and, and fill the, the most sort of southern point um, of contact that it might have. Like you can think of it in terms of like a bowl, right? Um, and the actual effects animation part when it comes to something like water doesn't come until you introduce energy to it. So the water itself is, is a substance, but what you're actually trying to animate is the energy in the water, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so one of the examples I use is like, it's, it's a really simple effect, but when you think about it, um, the water ripple, you are animating the highlight of the water, which is being caused by the energy moving through it, right? So that's kind of the approach I try to take when I'm thinking about what I'm trying to replicate in the animation and in the, the drawings. I really like that you you mentioned kind of, you know, the heart of what you're trying to do, because I was thinking how in like character animation you study or like storyboarding, you study life drawing and cinematography to, to try to improve on your craft. But with effects, like you, you kind of mentioned, the heart of it is nature itself. So are you studying like to get better at effects? Do you study nature? Um, Absolutely. That's awesome. That sounds yeah. really fun, actually, just to like, I'm like scroll frame by frame through. <laughs> so you might not necessarily like there's there, there's a lot of tricks and stuff like that, which you you learn over time and, yeah. and you learn to incorporate in your work and the animation that um, can can get you the best effects animation in, in TV. I'm always the if 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 I had like sort of a catchphrase, my catchphrase would be is the juice worth the squeeze. <laughs> so in, in TV animation, you're always looking for the biggest bang for your buck, right? Um, but if you were to sort of remove that to the side and you're just trying to get better at effects, um, there, if you're trying to start at a really basic level, exclude the animation, get rid of it. Don't even think about it. Hmm. Get really good real life um, subject matter whether it be water, fire, smoke, whatever, um, and draw it. If you are trying to draw sort of like, say a poofy smoke cloud from an explosion or like that, um, 
how are you going to represent those shapes? What are the shapes that you are seeing in it? How does the light fall on the shapes? What kind of um, shadows are you going to use to try to make this cloud of smoke feel? Because it, at the end of the day, everything we do is 2D. Um, so how are you going to best try to, in a 2D flat drawing, make this smoke cloud look um, 3D? And we're not, we, we, we sort of straddle a balance where we don't, we don't want to replicate things so they look identical to real life. We're trying to meet things halfway, where it's halfway realistic and halfway art, you know? Those are the best effects. If you really, if you're really, really excited and jazzed about doing cool 3D effects, there are simulators out there. Like um, uh, off the top of my head, I think the most popular one is called Houdini. Um, become a 3D effects artist. That's if that's your passion and that's what you want to do, and you you want to make real life looking stuff and work on um, live action movies and stuff. Then absolutely, you know, follow. Um, follow what gets you jazzed in the morning. Um, but we kind of need to, we, we kind of need to meet it halfway when it comes to like cartoons and stuff. Thanks. Um, I, sorry, I just had, I thought of another question because I, I just find this really intriguing. Um, it's kind of related still. So I was just thinking how on a show, you know, a studio will, will get a contract to do a season of a show and they'll hire a bunch of animators and then that season will end. And then, you know, those, those animators contract are up with special effects, is it similar? Or, you, you know, I, I'm assuming you're doing like effects over multiple shows. To, so I'm, I'm, I'm making a big guess here, but it would sound like a, um, I guess if stable is the right word, but it's more of a long-term thing at a studio. Is that correct? Um, so to sing the praises of the studio that I'm at currently, um, Jamfield, um, one of the things that they are really excellent with, and one of the reasons why I've been there for so long, I think I'm, I don't know, I've been there for like eight or nine years now, um, is that they don't, they're not, they're not interested in talent per project. Hmm. If, if you are a good artist and you're, you're interested in putting a lot of work into your craft and becoming, trying to become the best at what you do, um, they want to keep you around. Um, so I do definitely know of a lot of studios where everything is contractual. You sign on for the season and then once you're done, you're done. Gotcha. Um, but the studio that I work at, um, even, you know, there's, there, there's obviously very, very busy times and you pitch in a little bit extra. Um, I, I'm not, I don't endorse and I'm not a big fan of crunch at all. Um, that's also sort of like a little bit of a balance. Um, but when you, when you really believe in sort of the mission that the studio you're involved with is, is, is trying to pursue, then that kind of studio should be willing and wanting to keep you around when things are also slow. Makes sense. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's amazing of, of Jamfield to do that. It sounds, it sounds like a, a great place to be. So let's switch it up because the reason I originally reached out to you is yeah. uh, not to talk about 2D, even though I, I could, we could do a whole episode on 2D effects. Oh, it's because easily, of a comment man. that uh, yeah. I saw you make about how to ask for a raise in animation when you're kind of fresh and, and right. you know, you were spewing some advice for some greener people on, on how to go about doing that and knowing your worth and stuff. So I'm wondering, this is a 
big topic for me too because I, you know I'm I'm in school right now you know I have a past career but it it was it was totally unrelated field of animation where in animation your skill set is is much different than you know what you're doing in business but so without me going on any further let's let's talk about this yeah absolutely <laughs> so um let's okay so how do you know your worth you know you're just say that you're on your first contract at a, a studio you you're fresh out of school um you know kind of the first contract you take because you you need to get some experience and you can't always negotiate but say you've been working for a while you've been doing some really good work your supervisor's giving you great feedback um yep. and then it comes time to ask for a raise what what is your you know how do I, how should i go about this what's my first step in thinking Oof, um so <laughs> I want to make sure that I preface everything with just just by quickly saying that this is um, like my opinion. This is how I approach things. This might not work um, well for for everyone. Um, the The whole subject of knowing your worth is a is a very difficult one. Um, I know a lot of people that deal with um, imposter syndrome, um, which is a very real thing. Uh, and I think if you experience it, you need to, if you experience it and you want to have a career in animation, you need to actively be doing whatever you can to sort of fight against it. Um, the way that I have chosen to sort of go about it, um, in my career is, uh, I take a little bit of a CBT approach, um, for people who might not know what that means. Uh, it's short for cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's an evidence-based therapy for trying to deal with things like depression and anxiety, but I've, I won't comment on that, um, but I've sort of co-opted it to try to um, apply it to um, an animation career. Um, and one of the ways that it works for me is by really trying to focus on the actual evidence of what I have seen and experienced around me um, in my career and not always necessarily listening to the little voice in my head that could possibly be telling me something like, you could have animated this better. No one's going to like this animation, that kind of stuff. Um, those kinds of thoughts and feelings can be potentially can be valid, but I always want my thoughts and feelings to be backed up with some kind of evidence. Um, so if I'm looking around me and I am seeing people who are constantly talking positive about my work, I am hearing feedback from clients who are saying that they've seen the effects in the show and they love it. I'm hearing from employees that I'm training that I give good advice and they are happy that um, they were able to be trained by me. These are all, first off, positive statements, but they are statements that are coming from a source that is like outside of you and what's going on inside of your head. So you have no other option except to hear these things and take them seriously. You don't necessarily have to 100% believe everything someone tells you because there's definitely going to be people out there that might say some comments that might be a little bit more negative or might be a little bit more positive than they realistically should be. But what you're looking to do is to compile everything 
and, and sort of look at the mean, look at the trend um, of what is going on. So if you're constantly getting positive feedback, even though maybe the voice in your head is trying to talk negatively, you know that you immediately should be giving less worth to the voice in your head and probably believing more in what is being said from the people around you. Um, because if you're getting positive comments from several different sources that are unrelated, uh, you know that that is a solid base of information that is sort of like not corrupted by anything else, right? Yeah. Um, so after saying all of that, if you are in the position where you are hearing constant positive feedback, then you know that you have made yourself part of the pipeline um, and the company. You are integrated as a, a very positive force. Now you have to look at what it is that you bring to the table and consider sort of where you are at in terms of compensation. Um, it is still in westernized society, very taboo to talk about what you make. Um, maybe you have some other fellow employees or something in which you can be as open and honest about things as you need to be. Um, but that's just another avenue for like basically gathering the information, right? Um, but if you can draw the conclusion that you have sort of beyond a shadow of a doubt demonstrated um, a good positive force to the studio, you're hearing very little, if any, sort of negative influence or, or um, revisions, stuff like that, um, then you know that you're in a position to want to be compensated to the level um, that you deserve. Right. Do you put anything like quotas in there? Like if your animation quota is like uh, a minute every two weeks or something like that, and you're constantly meeting that ahead of time, because what you're saying is it sounds, it's to it sounds like, well, it sounds like a great strategy to me. I really like what you're saying about the CBT and, and like, you know, I struggle with that too, because I feel like you go, I, well, at least me going through life and doing art at the start when you suck, you know, people say nice things and you discount that because you know you suck and then people say mean things and you take that to heart. And yeah. then there's an evolution that happens in your art, but not kind of in my brain of taking the comments and appropriately filtering them to my skill level. Um, but but what you're saying about asking for a raise and collecting information, that's, I mean, that's what I've done in, in the past in my other career. You know, you figure out all the responsibilities you're doing. You look at that level of responsibility versus positions at other companies. You do some research, you know, LinkedIn has a great tool where you can just type in your location and job and it'll spit out um, a salary. There's Glassdoor. You talk yeah. to other people at other companies, find out what they're making. And then you come with a proposal and you say, here's the level of work I'm doing. You know, here's all the expectations that I met. Here's the research I've done on what I'm actually worth. And, and if, I mean, if you don't pay me this, then, then you're actually discounting my worth as a, as a, well, as a position. So I, yep. it's, this is all lining up exactly with uh, my experience too. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> this is kind of the point where um, I, I prefer to uh, sort of play hardball. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm, if I feel confident in my worth, I feel confident in what I know I want to ask for from 
um, a company. Um, as, as much as I love the company that I'm at right now, uh, and I'm super happy that they, um, they seem to respect artists as at, at, at the, the standard or above that I want artists to be respected as. Um, at the end of the day, my message will always be that you have to be your best advocate. Now, what does that necessarily mean? That, that, that means that once again, you have to know your own worth, which is, is a difficult concept in and of itself, but it also means that you can't take any crap. Um, where are we at in terms of like swearing? Is that uh, say whatever you want? Say the okay. whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You dropped you the f bomb. Okay, cool. Uh, no holds barred then. Yeah. So, um, as as an artist, you 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 shouldn't take any shit. Um, this is difficult because if you are trying to value yourself and the work and what you bring to the studio, every studio is going to be different. Every studio is going to have a different set of expectations. Um, in some studios, your talent level will be excellent and you will flourish and you shouldn't feel bad or worry at all about asking to be paid what you feel your value is. Um, other studios, it might be a little bit more wishy-washy and it's hard to sort of figure out where you settle and you want to sort of maybe approach things a little bit more cautiously. But if you are going into a negotiation where you are expecting a certain outcome and the studio, for whatever reason, um, just flat, flat out refuses to meet you there. Um, you need to be able, once again, my opinion, you need to be able to make the career changes, um, even if they might be drastic ones, in order to make sure that you are valued for what it is that you you bring. Yeah. Um, so if a studio wants to play hardball, you really want to stay at the studio for, for whatever reason, that's your own prerogative. Um, then obviously you're going to want to go in with sort of a mentality that you're, you're willing to negotiate, right? There is your best outcome, there's their best outcome, and then compromising, meeting somewhere in the middle, and you probably, you should be happy, right? Um, but if you're trying to make advances in your career and the studio that you're currently at, for whatever reason, just isn't meeting you even halfway, um, it's my opinion, you need to um, make the changes that are going to affect your career and your position um, most positively in life. And a lot of times that can mean having to leave. Yeah, I have seen it so many times where someone isn't being valued at the level that they want. They have the courage and they know their worth. So they get in touch with another studio. Um, maybe it involves like a big move. I mean, it's not easy moving across the country or anything like that, but they leave, they go somewhere else. Um, they collect experience from another place and maybe that opportunity draws to an end or whatever. Um, and when they come back, they might be in the same industry, in the same area, but suddenly that studio that wasn't willing to value them at what they wanted is now at the table and they're now willing to play ball, you know, um, and that wouldn't have happened if that 
specific employee had just sat around and, and accepted the terms and conditions that the studio ultimately was dictating to them. Don't let us, don't let a studio dictate to you your worth. Totally. You, you prove it. And then you dictate to them what it's going to take to keep you. Um, so there's good studios out there. I'm proud to be a part of one, but at the end of the day, you are your own product and, and you have to advocate for yourself harder than anyone else will. In terms of what you just said about, um, you know, valuing your worth, the studio saying no, you leaving and then coming back after an extended period of time, whatever, with new skills. My first thought would be you kind of maybe burn the bridge a little bit with that studio by saying, hey, you're not going to give me what I want. Goodbye. But do they actually see the value in how much of a hard, good worker you are and, and what they lost and what you gained? And so that's, that's why they're back at the table? Uh, absolutely. Like that's part of the sort of like hardball conundrum, right? Yeah. Is that you don't, I, I don't advocate burning bridges. Um, I, I really doubt many people out there would. Um, don't jump out of contracts, you know, like, if, if you signed a piece of paper saying you're going to fulfill a contract, do your best to fulfill it to the furthest extent that you possibly can. Um, but I've seen a lot of people that um, are in this kind of situation and they leave. And initially the word, you know, around amongst the employees and stuff is like, Ooh, this person did the studio dirty. This isn't good. You know, yeah. they've totally, they've totally burnt a bridge. Um, four years later, it's like it never happened. Four years later, they have the reputation and the experience and they come back in and it's water under the bridge. So it's, it's a difficult scenario because it exists in both extremes. Um, people who have, people where it seems like they have burnt a bridge and people who it seems like they left on decent terms, but then for whatever reason, it was like, no, we're never going to work with this person again. Um, it's not, when it comes to money, like it's not, it's not easy. Um, it's not, it's not cut and clean. Um, it'll, it'll take some, you know, it'll take some fuck ups and some mess ups in order to realize sort of how to do this stuff um, properly. But I, I do enough sort of freelance. Um, I'm not, I'm not strictly, um, sort of a nine to five studio animator. I do a lot of work on the side and I've negotiated, um, a lot of terms and contracts and stuff. And, and, and my opinions are just what I've picked up over the years of seeing other people get burnt myself getting burnt. Yeah. Um, and seeing things go positively, right? Like if you, if you find yourself in a super awesome, positive contract with great clients, um, what about it brought that positivity and how, what, what can you do to, in order to replicate that in all your sort of future, um, contracts and endeavors, right? Um, yeah, I, I have a question kind of around your experience. So, you know, you've, You've been around the block a few times. You just said you've negotiated a lot with uh, freelance and stuff. And you also said it takes a lot of courage, which I know firsthand when you're first kind of green in the industry and you go to your manager and say, I, I, you know, it takes, it takes a lot because you expect rejection. You've never done this before. You, you don't talk to anybody because it's taboo to talk about these things. Yeah. How do you um, uh, like 
for instance, my first experience doing that when I was fresh out of school, my manager was like, uh, you could be flipping burgers, so you should be happy you make what you make. And I was like, oh, dang, all right, thanks. And that makes that's, me pretty disgruntled. That's <laughs> the reverse power move, right? Like yeah. that's, that's the reverse of you knowing your worth. That's the studio actively trying to beat you down and put you in your place so you don't ask these questions. Right, so how do you, how do you make sure that meeting goes uh, well? Like, what's the mentality you come in? Because, you, you know, you've done your research, you've gained all this courage, you, you may get a rejection, you know, yep. depending on this. And then what do you do after that? Like, you say you don't have an opportunity lined up and you're, you're just, you know, like, how do you make sure that you set yourself up to advocate for yourself so early on in your career? Because I, I agree, it took me a long time to figure that out too. And that comes with the experience of, of failing and trying and figuring it out too, right? So yeah, what are some steps you can take earlier on? Yeah, it's kind of a vague question. No, no, not at all. Um, The earlier you are on in your career, the tougher it's going to be. um, Because for me, um, the huge sort of aspect is is demonstrating your worth. Um, Mm -hmm. If you haven't been around for very long, it's going to be harder to demonstrate that properly and efficiently, which is going to be means you have less power sort of at the the negotiating table. when you are taking on a contract, obviously things you have to consider um, are sort of the project. You know, lots of people are willing to take less and work harder for an IP, an intellectual property that they are super pumped and excited to work on. Um, that's something that's going to weigh into your decision making. And those are sort of caveats that you might be willing to um, sort of relent upon in order to get involved. Um, in that project. Uh, for some people, it's just all it's, it's just all about the money. And if it's about the money, then you have to make sure that you're demonstrating your worth better than anyone else out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're confident in that, then um, absolutely, you can you can play um, more more sort of hardball than than the next guy. Um, I was talking to um, a friend today, who is negotiating um, a contract with a studio with an IP that he likes and he he wants to potentially work on but he didn't super and I'll keep things vague but he didn't super like sort of the terms that they they were bringing to the table so um, one of one of my other larger pieces of advice is that when you are negotiating don't ever um, self-deprecate Never. Um, if, if, if you're talking about how you can help a client bring their project to sort of the next level and stuff like that, um, you always want to be talking about yourself. Um, the, way, the, the way I think about it is you always want to be talking about yourself like you know you're the shit. Yeah. But you're being humble about it. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if especially if you love an IP, you know you're going to be extra passionate about bringing that project to life better than, yeah, you know, somebody who isn't passionate. So it would make yeah. sense they would want to pay you more as a better asset to the company. Yeah, um, and I always like like I said earlier, I don't I don't treat people I don't treat um, production managers or HR people the same way I treat creatives. Um, 
I get, I guess to a certain extent, I try to put on a little bit of a mask when I'm treating, when, when I'm dealing with money and or contracts, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if you can hear the dog in the background. That's all right. Um, and I always try to be more open and empathetic when I'm dealing with creatives. I find those two sort of approaches have been the best when I like, ultimately I'm just trying to get my way. Right. Like, I'm trying to work on the coolest projects for the most money with the most sort of relaxed deadlines. Um, And these are just my approaches for, for, yeah, trying, trying to get my way in like as many instances as I I possibly can. Um, Now I've, I've ate some shit in my time. Like I've had some really, really bad contracts that I wish I wouldn't have um, taken, but the, the silver lining is always like, okay, well, what really messed up in these and how can I avoid it um, in the, in, in the future? I'm not sure if that entirely answers the, yeah, the question. It does. But... I also have a follow-up question. You, you mentioned uh, talking about yourself as the shit. And for me, I have a problem with that because I'm very new to my art career. I'm still, I still feel very kind of vulnerable. And sometimes I come across as cocky when I don't intend to, because I just haven't learned the right way to talk about building myself up in this area. That's so personal to me. So yeah. how do you have some tips on how to uh, talk about yourself as the shit in a humble way? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. Like that's, that's the, the older I sort of get, the more I realize that um, everything is sort of about balance, you know? So it's like being confident um, without being braggadocious. Um, braggadocious. Be, yeah. <laughs> can can be very very um like tough. that's something muffy crosswire would say <laughs> <laughs> um so i find I, I i find probably if i had a strength it's not necessarily like within the moment talking um when i'm negotiating a contract or something like that when i'm writing an email i usually find i can do sort of my my best work about being like super awesome on the down low you know um, but there, there, there's definitely something to be said about like a client who um, believes in you, like a client who see like who talks to you and feels your passion for a project, especially like if they're paying for it, they want to know that you like you're fucking on board, you yeah. know. So if you can, when it comes to freelance, it's tough because one of one of the largest things, uh, and and I talk about this with like a lot of sort of aspects is you have your talent and ability, but you're also to a certain degree selling yourself. You need to sell yourself as someone who's capable of accomplishing what it, what it is they want. Um, And so selling yourself to the degree where you can get them to the table and, and, and basically sign contracts and agree to like a dollar amount and stuff like that. um, Your personality will get them there. And then it's time for your talent to, to take over. Um, and then, and then you have to prove it. And yeah. that can, that can also be the scary part, right? Is like, um, especially if you have the imposter syndrome stuff, that's when I, I, I heavily lay into sort of the CBT stuff where it's like, I negotiated an excellent price. I have them convinced that I'm the right person for this project. Now it's time to produce. I hate everything I'm animating. What am I doing with a stylist in my hand at this Wacom? Like I, I should literally just like probably crawl in bed and die. But 
I'm looking at all the proof in my past about the people that said the positive things. And so if you can build yourself up to the point where it's like, no, listen, I didn't trick them. I believe in myself. I'm going to do the best I possibly can. Um, and if that's not good enough, then I will learn a lesson and I'll try to take as much positivity um, from it as I can and, and, and move on. But, but, but in my experience so far, at least, and, and like knock on wood that it doesn't change, but that's always been enough. You know, um, I've never, I've never, I've never really, really shit the bed where a client is just like, you, you totally deceived us. Like there, there's never been that sort of situation. So I think a lot of times creatives are, are creatives for a reason and can sometimes ruminate and create negative disasters in their head that convinces them that if they fuck up this project, it's going to be the end of their career. People will talk and, you know, whatever. And it's very, very rarely, if ever, as bad as you think it will be. Totally. And also, yeah. I feel like some of that thinking, at least for me personally, leads me to do, you know, the best work I can because I'm so scared of not performing. I, I mean, whatever motivates you, right? Like, yeah, if, well, fear. <laughs> so, some, sometimes, like, when I've been training employees, um, one of the things I've I've learned over the years is that um, everyone, and, and this may seem obvious to some people, but everyone is different, right? So I've had people who thrive under negative um, sort of reinforcement, right? Like not negative to the point where I'm 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 verbally abusing them or anything like that. Like never never that level, but like if you're sitting down with someone, there's some people who really, really get motivated by saying like, listen, I know you're better than this. Why is this the best work that you think is going to be accepted into this project or whatever the situation may be. And then there's those other people who really need like the handholding, like you're okay. We're going to get you through this. I'm going to help you. Um, you know, you can always depend on me. So like, and I guess if I can extrapolate that a little bit further, it's not just employees, but that's contracts as well, right? That's clients, yeah. uh, that's, that's clients as well. So finding the client, like um, I, I, I'm doing this one project for, for this one client and I get this really strong sort of uh, vibe from them that in the meetings when I'm with them, that it's very, very important for them to feel heard, mm. right? It's not so much like, I'm giving directions. Now you go do, but it's, it's, it's at the point where they need to know that on like a very deep level, you understand where they're coming from. So in terms of like dealing with people like that, like I'll take on a lot of um, sort of communication strategies like parroting um, where they will say something and I will repeat it back to them to make sure that they know that I've heard what it is that they have said or asked for. Um, and if they are that kind of person that, that, that needs that kind of attention, they will respond really well to that. And at the end of the project, um, they might have had such a positive experience with you that obviously the hope is that they come back in, in the future, right? That's, that's a really good tip too, because, you, you know, part of freelance is just taking care of your clients, right? Like, oh, making sure that's like half, half of so what you much. have to do. Yeah. So like the, the really nice thing about being at a studio, is like, you're the talent. There's people above you that handle the clients. Oh, yeah. um, you, you deal with the work and your, your job is to a hit deadlines first and foremost, and then B to the best of your ability, make stuff in terms of, for me personally, effects, 
make make the effects as cool as 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 possible right um but freelance yeah you're everyone you're your own pr person you are your own hr person you are your own producer um and you're the talent so i mean like uh freelance can be not kind um <laughs> at times yeah dang i i feel like you've given us some really I say us, I guess the people listening, but I'm the only one listening right now. <laughs> I feel like you've given me a really, uh, some really great tips on like how to think of yourself as an artist, especially when you're starting out and kind of figuring out your worth and also dealing with imposter syndrome, which seems to plague most people in, in this industry as the, as the art artists. Um, yeah. And then, you know, how to figure out what to put together to ask for a raise, how to ask that raise. Are there, you know, are there any things that you should say or do to keep that professionalism or like i don't know throughout the whole process because you know this can be a roller coaster emotional journey uh, yeah go through all this yeah it's it, it, it it's definitely tough and it depends a lot on the kind of um person you are but um i mean a couple things up that 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 pop in my head is never take rejection personally um yeah. believe um believe only half of what you hear uh no no what, is, what what's that saying believe only half of what you see and like none of what you hear i think something like that don't so, listen to this podcast because <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of i'm sort of shooting myself in the foot here um trying to like be positive about advice and stuff like that but yeah, specifically in the terms that i'm using it um i mean when people are when people are using words instead of money you know yeah. like um we're, we're thinking of, we're thinking of paying you this much and we really want you on the project and just wait until um, next quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else, what kind of, what kind of, what else kind of stuff? Never self-deprecate is a huge one. Even, even if that thing in your head is telling you like, um, you know, make make a really quick joke about how you're you're actually secretly a terrible artist or something like that like just don't do it just don't just don't do it that's such a common thing <laughs> oh like so so common but if you're dealing with someone who controls the money yeah. um it's going to be a factor right well, like it's going it's going to be a consideration that they think about when they have to make a decision maybe it's down to like you and two other people um one is supremely confident and then they think of you and it's like, ah, he really talked like mad shit about his like own personal capabilities. Do we really right. want someone like that on the team interacting with other people? Um, and that, that can be a huge factor as well. Well, and like imagine you're renovating or like redoing your kitchen and the, the like contractor you hired keeps, keeps being like, oh, we're terrible. We're not very good. You know, our last project fell through. Haha, <laughs> even though it's a joke, it's like, I'm investing my money in this. It better go well. <laughs> like, yeah. I, do I want this person who I'm not even sure. Yeah. So, to and, and, totally makes sense. If you're tempted, don't. And that's, that's, that's a great um, sort of mental activity to do is and they they do it sometimes i i mean i think it's a little bit cliche to actually do it specifically in interviews where like the interviewer is like let's flip the table and you interview me for the job you know um but it is a good mental activity to do to put yourself in the position of control if you were actually trying to consider like 
who am I going to give whatever the project is $10,000 to, to, in order to animate this section or whatever, what is the person that I'm looking for? Yeah. And then um, if you have to fake it, um, like fake it. And if you fail, then take a look at why you failed and adjust and then move on. And I know it's all um, part of the reason why it's like, yeah, don't, don't believe anything you hear is because I say this stuff and um, it's way, way, way easier to hear it uh, than to do it. Um, but if you can get yourself into the practice of trying to do it, um, you'll be better in, in the long run. And that's, that, that is sort of one thing I want to touch upon here because I know it probably sounds like I've been giving like a lot of advice and, and, and stuff like this. And my main objective in the end is I just want to help, um, artists and stuff like that have successful careers, but um, I do want to make it known that even though I've been doing this for like 15 years, my personal career didn't see significant success um, until about three or four years ago. So I spent 11 years making mistakes and grinding, um, trying to figure out what I was doing wrong, um, all, the, all, all, all these kinds of things until I feel like maybe in the last two years specifically, but maybe four or so, I've been able to dial it in and have um, a decent amount of success with uh, freelance and, and studio work. And um, I'm finally in the, like, not necessarily the dream position, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a position I'm, I'm proud to, to be in at a studio that I'm proud to be at. So um, the grind also has to be taken into consideration too, because it's not going to obviously come overnight even if you're capable of following all the advice to the T, like it's going to take um, some time. So um, be patient with yourself, especially as an artist, you have to be so patient with yourself. Um, and I'll just go on like a little bit, maybe of a, a ramble here, but I remember when I was uh, younger and like sketching and stuff like that, I would get so angry that I would have the image in my head of what I wanted to put down on the paper but the translation from head to hand to drawing was so um, disconjoined and not meeting that I would get super angry and like um, I would stab my sketchbooks with the pencil. Like, why can't I get like this, this image in my head onto the actual piece of paper? Um, and the, the thing that I, I, I tried to tell and this applies to artists, but it can it can apply to a lot of people is one, one of the things from like CBT, well, maybe it's not necessarily CBT, but one of the one of the techniques I've I've tried to develop to in 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 order to just give myself like the space and the breathing room to be not awesome like at art or to be terrible at something, um, is is I try to and this might sound like a little hippy dippy, but I tried to take myself and imagine myself as like a, a like a, uh, a small, um, a small child, like my, my inner, my inner version of myself. And I take all those negative things that I want to say to myself, and I want to pour like over myself, but then I try to imagine saying that to a small child, hmm. saying that, like saying that to yourself, as a small child, like you're terrible at art, why are you doing this? Yeah you suck why would you ever say something 
to someone like that, right? No. So what what would you say instead? You well, I, my first reaction is to encourage them. You know, to encourage them. So why aren't you encouraging yourself? You want to be an artist. You want to get into the industry. Don't like the worst thing you can possibly do is make your your yourself your own worst enemy. There's yeah. plenty of people out there that could be potential <laughs> enemies for you. Don't start with yourself. You, you, which comes back to like like be your own advocate you know like champion yourself um and and it goes all the way down to that that critical voice even when you're sketching and drawing man like don't don't let the negativities over overtake you um, i really like what you just said there that's i haven't heard you know say that to yourself as a five-year-old kid that's uh i find that really it's a, impactful it's effective right yeah like you picture like yourself changing what I'm thinking of, like when I feel down on my art. Absolutely, man. Like right away. Like um, I, I, I've seen pictures of like, and we all have of, of us as like little cute chubby kids. And obviously we're doing this because when we were younger, most likely we enjoyed drawing and stuff and like imagining an adult spewing hatred at that young, innocent child just makes you, want to be your own champion and like say yeah. like shut yeah, the fuck totally. up man encourage yeah. encourage it well and i feel like uh at least for me and i know others the passion comes from that childlike state of you know playtime of you know animation is just play really it's like entering childhood when time didn't exist you had everything you wanted and you were making your own fun and that's that's it for me i also I really like what you said about you know, going through 11 years of, of trying and failing and reaching a good state. I, I think you should be really proud of yourself. That's awesome to hear. Uh, I am. Thank you. Um, and um, part part of the reason why um, I really wanted to, like, I, I, I was excited to hear from you because up until this point, we didn't know each other or anything like that. Um, is because if, if, if anything I have learned or, or known over my career can help out anyone, um, I want to push that you know like yeah um i want to collect um as much fucking karma as i possibly can you know <laughs> just have a giant bag of karma well yeah. no i really think this is going to help a lot of people it's helping me i mean part of what i love about this podcast is all the all the issues you talked about you know i was in my own head for for my whole career in business being like i can never be an animator there's no way i like built up a mental wall that I just wasn't even willing to take one brick off of to open that up. And now that I have opened up, I have to deal with all of these kind of intrusive negative thoughts that I've had for a whole decade and trying to find a place for them to, to, to not be in what I'm pursuing, I guess. Yeah. And like, <laughs> at so, least in my experience, they're never, they're never going to stop coming. Yeah, you know? but, but talking with people so, like you who, you know, this you've made a career out of this and you've you've figured out strategies and things that have worked, it's it's extremely helpful for me. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something and I lost the thought. Um, well, one of the things that I wanted to say was that um, just a little bit earlier there when you, we were talking about like um, the little kid stuff yeah. um, and, and I don't specifically want to get into this now, but um, I mean, when you were talking about losing time, um, and getting into your drawings and animation and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we could go on for like this specific point for like an hour, but um, the importance of, 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 of like reaching that flow state. Oh yeah. You know, 
Um, and I think I, I've talked to so many artists, um, obviously more specifically animators, but just artists in general who all have this collective experience of the exact opposite of what I was talking about when I'm stabbing my sketchbook, the exact opposite of that, where you reach that, that state and that, that peace of mind and you're, it's almost like you're not making the decisions. It's just flowing out of you. Yeah. And I, I feel like children are so excellent at just immediately getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you put a piece of paper and a marker down in front of them and it's like, boom, they're there. And like, as we get older, we're constantly struggling trying to like get to that place and spend time in there. But well, it's, it's almost like you reach an age, I guess it's what you call an adult where your mind is, there's so many things on it. There's your rent, there's your bills, there's what are you going to make for dinner? All these decisions that are constantly bombarding you. And for me, like with stop motion specifically, you know, the, you have a character you're working on, you, you're like trying to get into it, figure out how it's moving. And there's a certain point where you've figured out how the character moves in this shot, like everything else, all the background noise of everything else is lost. And you're just totally in moving this character and bringing it to life in the way that it, it uh, is kind of meant to be as a puppet. And for me, like reaching that state, literally six hours will go by and I wouldn't have thought about going to the bathroom or eating or anything else, except maybe now my back is hurting and my feet are sore. <laughs> But it, it's it's an incredible state. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's just like uh, you become nothing almost. And then at the end, you look at something and I, I feel immensely proud that, you know, I was able to create this thing that came out of this flow state that you described. And it's, it's awesome to me. So, yeah. Um, do you have kind of an ultimate goal of what you want out of uh your career life whatever you want to call it with what you're pursuing is there because you you mentioned you know you grinded for 11 years you've reached a really a great state now is there a next level that you'd like to get to so the difficult thing with effects is that um the sort of the pinnacle the pinnacles you can reach for effects is like your 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 body of work and not necessarily position right um because i'm i'm co-head of like a very large department for a very large studio and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that um, but I'm kind of at the roof in terms of studio life gotcha so one of the goals I had set a couple of years ago was and and I'm always trying to do this and I'm, I'm I'm not the greatest at it I'm trying to get better I know tons of people that are way better than me at it um, but another another goal was trying to get your work out there which whether you like it or not means uh, being ha having a presence on social media, um, which I keep as professional um, as I can. I don't like to put a lot of personal. Some people mix it um, and get great success out of it. I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying this is my personal opinion. Um, one of the other things I wanted to do was reach um, a specific dollar amount for the amount that I was able to bring in over the course of a year. Um, and right now I'm right now, I, I, I would say if I had a dream, if we, if we were to go to sort of like dream level of accomplishment is one of the things that I love and adore about um, Eastern animation and anime, um, especially when it comes to effects is that 
effects isn't an afterthought in that industry. Right. If effects there is treated as seriously and as intensely um, as any sort of character uh, animation is, and when people are are, are boarding and creating shows. Um, things like fight sequences and battles and stuff like that. We can, we can bring something to the table that you can't get. Well, I guess nowadays you can sort of get it with 3d, but um, you can't, you can't typically get out of um, live action, which is doing like really cool real. It, it, it feels like reality, but ultimately like it's fantastical kind of stuff. Right. So I'm not hugely versed in this, but I know um, I know when it comes to certain kinds of animes, there's this concept of like a, a Sakuga animator, okay. um, which is like an animator who has enough experience and enough talent that they will be tasked with handling like an entire sequence, um, whether it be like a battle sequence or, or, or something like that. But it is their vision and their dream put into like an episode um, of a show. Um, and right now with Western animation and the stuff that I have been working on, it's kind of creeping in there, but it's not there to the degree that I want it. Um, that being said, I do have a very excellent example of a show that is pretty much doing it. Um, first off, like Avatar was freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of a little bit like even old school now, like Jesus, that's gotta be like 10 or thousands, I think. Yeah. Um, so I had a very small hand in doing effects with, um, a show called rise of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles, yeah. um, which is done, um, through Nickelodeon um through a service studio called flying bark in australia um the lead effects artist there is a guy named jeff Lai, who i was very um i feel very fortunate to have worked with because uh he op he, he, he was able to open up my eyes to a lot of different techniques and stuff like that but if you're able to get a hold of that show and you watch some of the battle sequences in that freaking amazing um, I've seen a couple of them come across my plate. Like I worked on season one, which was cool, but season two, like blew it out of the water. I have no idea how they're doing it um, from the boards are super amazing. Um, the animation is like fun and energetic and snappy. And then the effects in the battle sequences is, is just like next level. Um, so that stuff is present sort of in my world, but it's not present in my studio, <laughs> you know, and it's not, it's, yeah. it's not my studio, but I mean like my department in the studio. Um, I would really love that kind of level um, of effects work to be going on in, in Western animation um, as well as um, the other places that it's in. Nice. I, I, that totally makes sense. And I like how you explain that whole concept to me. Cause I'm, I was largely unfamiliar with it. Um, is there anything else you want to, you want to share kind of as we, we wrap up this chat? Uh, no, not specifically. I mean, we've, we've touched upon a lot and yeah. um, it's super nice to just sort of be able to ramble and talk about all these things. Like um, I get, 
I get opportunities here and there with certain people, but it's, it's, it's not too often that you find people that are, are trying to um, take others sort of ideas and concepts and, and give them a bit of a soapbox to get them out there to as many people as, as possible. So I definitely appreciate you um, having me here and, and letting me, letting me talk. Well, thank you. And I, I am glad that I can do that for you because I've personally found this really insightful. I'm, I'm going to remember that child analogy probably forever. It's really stuck in my mind. So uh, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, and it's been great to have you. So just thank you for coming on the chat. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. Cool. And if, if you're listening and you want to get in touch with Dan or reach out to him, which are the same thing, uh, or follow his work, you can do so by heading on over to his website, which is elementalartist.net. And I'll include a link to that in the description of this podcast. And thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work. 